Good afternoon. You are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Art Then and Now with me, your host, Anna Gammons. This is a show where we explore art from the past and art from the present to understand how we have expressed ourselves through time. Happy 2020, everyone. This is the first show back of 2020. I hope everyone had a lovely break, hopefully spending it with friends and family and you got loads of lovely gifts, drank too much, ate too much like I did. Our theme this week is puppets and I got an education from the very very talented puppet maker Charlie Timms about what actually goes into puppet making for film and theatre and spoiler alert it is more than just putting a sock on your hand but before that I thought I would share a little of my research on the history of the art of puppet making. So I realised before I was going to interview professional puppet maker Charlie Timms that I was going to have to clue myself up on the whole industry because a few years ago my ignorant brain would have just thought about Punch and Judy and my childhood memories of watching that in the mid-90s or even City and Sweep if we want to go back that far but it wasn't until I saw the infamous production of The Lion King on the West End, I'm sure you've heard of it, that I realised what could be truly achieved with puppets and this got me interested and then when Charlie and I started to talk I was like oh yeah this is great I really want to learn more about this because it is absolutely incredible when you see if you've ever seen a production with kind of these full-scale puppets it really is quite phenomenal so I did a little bit of research before I spoke to her about the history and as with anything great in this world the origins go back to my favourite period of history, none other than the ancient Egyptians in 2000 BC. They gave us proper burials, they gave us self-adornment, they gave us the cat eyeliner flick, but they also gave us the first proper evidence of wire and string operated puppets. So they're sometimes made of wood and clay and they are often found in tombs, as with most things with the Egyptians. If you're buried with it, it's going to be important. So hieroglyphics have also described these, quote, walking statues, which are thought to describe the animated objects. And they're often used to tell religious stories, too. Also in ancient Greece as well, as, I, as you know, as with everything, if it's important, we use it now. It usually goes way, way, way back to, you know, the ancient Egyptians, ancient Greek, ancient Rome as well. So, as I said, they were used in ancient Greece. And the art of puppetry has its own traditions, not only in Europe, but throughout the world as well, in countries such as Japan, China and Germany. And I wanted to go through a few of these because some of them are so interesting For example, in Japan, bunraku is a traditional art of puppetry and it is usually requires about three people to operate just one puppet. But as well as a puppet, there's kind of this sort of kind of musicians, there's a chanter. It's like a full production type situation, which I thought was really, really cool when I went to Japan and I saw a little bit, not enough, but a little bit. And as well as this in Vietnam as well, water puppetry is a thing that dates back to the 11th century and just like it sounds this is basically puppets in water that's very basic description but obviously there's more to it than that but it is mainly it goes back to when the rice fields would flood and so the Vietnamese put on this incredible productions where you know it involves water and puppetry and just incredible shows and in Indonesia shadow puppets are really really popular too to tell sort of dramatic stories and they're sort of projected onto walls and 
in the same way you might imagine that a shadow puppet kind of tells a story. Um, yeah, that is in Indonesia too. So all around the world, not just the UK, not just Europe, but everywhere else. And this is what I learned during, as I said, during my uh, education. There are loads of different type of puppets, not just finger puppets or sock puppets pretty self-explanatory we're talking about punch and judy when i talk about that kind of thing but there are also hand and glove puppets that require more than one i.e bunraku and marionette puppets oh sorry marionette puppets which are these string ones so think sound of music you know and she does that little production (laughs) that was embarrassing i just yodeled on the radio but there we go so (laughs) marionette puppets which you hold from a height and control from above as well as rod puppets too as well so think lion king hyenas when they're kind of darting around they're on rods so um, i mean more than i even thought and there's also these carnival puppets which are huge ones that are operated from the inside which require usually more than one person to operate too but loads of different types of there's loads of different facets to the industry as with usual as with you know most kind of art traditions they really go back and they're very varied and in britain as well we have a huge history of puppetry i mentioned i mentioned punch and judy earlier and i you know if you go way way further back than that medieval entertainers such as minstrels used to use hand puppets as well as a way of kind of entertaining people they used to go to wealthy households and you know um people used to indulge in their talents there shakespeare's also mentioned puppets as well and that you know that was in the 1600s so he goes goes way way back in the uk as well in britain and the victorian album museum have an early 19th century of punch's head so again punch and judy not that you know recent but you know goes back to the 19th century but it's really creepy and i saw it and i just thought oh it's children's entertainment it's honestly terrifying look it up victoria and albert museum type in punch's head and you probably will regret it it's horrendous um but it wasn't until tv that puppetry became really kind of synonymous with entertainment and was brought to a much wider public and you know we're talking about city and sweep i mentioned before basil brush is another great example you know any uh, baby boomers listening might recall and also kind of as well as that sesame street and the muppets too some of the greats many of the greats but more recently as well in the popular domain a production such as Warhorse and the Lion King, which have really brought the puppet industry to life and kind of show really the spectrum of what puppetry can do as well. Those puppets from the Lion King, Julia Taymor is the designer of those as well. So I also wanted to mention as well, it's not just entertainment too, but actually puppets, um, you know, they're so synonymous with childhood, but they're actually used... um, in play therapy what's called play therapy and it's a way for children to speak about trauma as well because puppets as we know can look quite human but they're also less intimidating so puppets are used you know by children like child therapists to kind of help them talk about what's been going on you know traumas and things like that abuse but in a really really safe space so puppetry used all around incredible Sorry, there was a slight delay there. And it is now time for my interview with incredibly talented puppet maker, Charlie Timms. Hopefully, like me, you will learn a little something about what actually goes into the art of creating puppets for live productions. I've given you the intro, and now I'm going to hand it over to Charlie to talk to you about, you know, the actual profession of what goes on. Here you go. Here's Charlie. Enjoy. I am 
here with Charlie Timms, who is a puppet maker. Hi, Charlie. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Very good, thank you. Good. Okay, so let's start with an intro for the listeners. How did you become a puppet maker? Did you have formal training? <laughs> uh, no formal training as such. I went to art school at 18 um, and I studied ceramic sculpture and okay. later went off to Motley Theatre Design School in Drury Lane in London to study theatre design. So the original plan was theatre? Yeah. yeah, well, I suppose I gravitated way. towards working with people. Uh -huh. After being an artist, I didn't do so great at being a studio practicing artist. I like working with people, so I gravitated towards theatre. Mm -hmm. And then, so I've been working in theatre for years and years and years. And then, so I suppose puppet making, you know, there's always puppets in theatre. Yeah. But I principally came across it as an accident, in a way. Um, Okay. I was asked to sculpt a life-size elephant uh, for Michael Morpurgo's show, Running Wild. Yes, see it on your website. It's yeah. amazing. I think yeah. that was the first thing I said to you. <laughs> <laughs> and that was for an outdoor production at Chichester Festival Theatre. Amazing. Um, and then... So that was your first taste into the industry, as in well, puppet making specifically? Yes, I suppose specifically I was just tasked to make, you know, as a sculptor, to mm. carve the elephant. But right, then right. what happened inevitably was that you know, time ran out and I was obliged to make the puppet. So a puppet maker who I was working oh. alongside made some sketches of how to make a joint. Oh, I see. And then before I knew it, I was constructing all the joints for the arms for right. the orangutan. Yeah, amazing. So that was your, that was your first go at it and then you kind yeah. of, you got it taken with the idea of, of puppet making. Awesome. Yeah, well, that show, you know, was so successful in the end that a year later it was picked up by the Regent's Park Theatre. Oh, amazing. And then went on tour. So then they got me back to carve another elephant. Okay. So the first elephant that I carved had four actors. Right. Um, yes, because of course people yeah. knew them as well, which I yeah. want to talk about too, but yeah, yeah carry on. So it basically that. had four actors inside the body mm -hmm. doing all the legs, and yeah. then one actor just doing the head, and another actor okay. doing the trunk. Oh my goodness. So it was oh, a big, wow, yeah, big crew. And of course, the child actor. Mm. has to ride on the back of the elephant so that it had yeah. to be really really structural sure and then a year sound. later I mean that's the great thing about shows that go on is that you can you know adapt and, and improve and evolve, and evolve the, and yeah absolutely. we realized you know like a 12 year old child on top of a uh, polystyrene <laughs> elephant actually is very very <laughs> that's not gonna work <laughs> well no it's very very light so we don't actually didn't need so many actors to yeah carry it. I see. So oh we, I see okay yeah we yeah, yeah. slimmed the elephant down to two people inside and they basically had effectively a broom handle in each arm that right. operated each leg okay. while the backpack carried the weight of the elephant on top oh i see so and because you made it lighter you didn't then need everyone to sort of like yeah four people essentially to okay that makes more sense yes exactly uh, yeah that's definitely something i want to talk about as well but so so you made that transition uh to puppet making full time was that after yes. this project or did so, a series of things yeah so during that project i suppose i started getting more and more calls mm. and then um after that, I did all, made all the puppets for Christmas Carol for Chichester, again for Chichester. Amazing. And I think I, I'd sort of met some key players mm -hmm. who, I mean, it's quite a small world, the puppet world. So a lot of the makers and performers mm -hmm. all know each other. Yeah. And before you knew it, you know, you just sort of get in <laughs> amongst the gang, really. Yeah, um, yeah. So That's that kind of nice, though, that it's quite fantastic. intimate and everyone knows. And recommendations are worth so much more, aren't they, in that exactly. respect? Yes, um, exactly. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that there are a few misconceptions, I think, um, and you were saying as well with what theatre puppets are. And I think 
I'd love you to shed some light on your industry specifically, because I think we're a bit limited in the way we view puppets. Well, yes, that is a curious one. So if I meet a stranger and they ask me what I do mm -hmm. and I say I'm a puppet maker, mm -hmm. um, quite often I'll get a sort of rather blank expression or people saying sock puppets. Yes, or, yeah. You know, they, they think of Punch and Judy or sock puppets <laughs> or Muppets. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and then if I if I say or more like Warhorse, and if they know the production of Warhorse, sure. then they the light kind of switch yeah, yeah, goes yeah. on. I mean, mm. there's a long, long history of glove puppets and mm. Muppet time. I suppose Jim Henson had a massive influence from television, mm. and I think a lot of people when they think of puppets think of that mm. kind of style. Of course, yeah. yeah. Are there different nuances between different types of puppets? Are there different types of puppets? Tell me, educate me. <laughs> well. Yes, I mean, I can only really tell you about the puppets I kind of make, but of course there's many, many different types of puppets. Mm -hmm. And um, I suppose I've, I've sort of had an apprenticeship with two people called Nick Barnes and Caroline Bowman, mm -hmm. and they principally work with rod puppets. Right, okay, yeah. And these rod puppets, they, they I suppose, sort of influenced by Bunraku, which is a Japanese style of puppetry where you always, mm -hmm. always have three visible manipulators okay and traditionally you have one person who does the feet one person who does the back and the right arm okay and then the actor of the puppet mm. who does the head and the left arm right and it, interesting it means that you get something that's incredible in terms of movement incredibly nuanced and naturalistic mm. and you know, quite often they'll have like gestures like breathing. So you'll see, literally see the puppet breathing. Oh my goodness. Which is an amazing wow. thing to watch. That's incredible. I didn't, but I had no course, idea. Yeah, of course that kind of puppet, um, I suppose, you know, that, that sort of rod puppet mm. generally works really well for big puppets because then your, your puppet isn't completely dwarfed by puppeteers yes. so if you've got three puppeteers and you've got a very small puppet yeah then it's really not going to work so hard to block out the tiny puppet yeah. the movements yeah. are that realistic that's i guess that's the art of it isn't it getting the audience to really zone out the players and just look at the puppet and, and see yeah it, and well see that's what the it magic is, yeah. isn't it because nobody absolutely everybody knows it's a puppet mm. i mean there's no getting around that but mm. that is the absolute sort of paradox in a way that yeah. you know you end up sort of believing this thing to be alive or yeah. you suspend disbelief. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, when we spoke earlier, Mar Marinette, is that the Oh yes, the strings? string puppets, yes. Yeah, because so, I had no idea that they were, I, I was very ignorant uh, when yeah, I came to see Charlie. <laughs> Still am, but. Yes, Marinettes, I mean, they've just, well, I mean, like all puppets have been around for thousands of years, but um, yeah, I mean, string puppets, I actually, in my 20s, I, I, I did front of house on the puppet barge in Little Venice. Amazing. And they are completely devoted to string puppets and marionettes. Wow, so they yeah, have yeah. a tiny little theatre. And the extraordinary magic of their shows is that, well, I think, and probably most marionette shows, but in the audience, you see the stage mm. as you walk in. And mm. the size of the stage is like the size of your kitchen table. Yeah. And you sit down and watch and the lights go down. Yeah, yeah. And then the puppets come out. And very, very quickly, these puppets grow. Literally, in your mind, they grow in scale. Oh, wow. So it's this extraordinary thing. So the puppets in real life are probably no more than 12 inches high, oh, goodness, one yeah, foot high. Sure. And then actually, the you get so absorbed in the story and wow. the movement of the puppeteer, puppets um, mm. that you completely believe these things to be bigger 
And then it's quite a shock at the end of the show when because quite often <laughs> the puppeteer, you know, the marionette puppeteers yeah. come down off stage and bow and you see, you know, the curtains drawn and you actually yeah, yeah, see yeah, the puppets yeah, yeah. in the flesh sort of thing with the totally. lights totally up and then you can't believe how small they are. That's so magic though. <laughs> I think yeah. one of the wonderful things about puppets is they're not earthbound. Mm. So they can do like incredible flying leaps mm -hmm. and I mean, particularly with rod puppets. I think yeah. you have a sort of direct dynamic movement through the actor's body through to the puppet. And actually you can yeah. you can almost do well, you can do all the things that human beings can't mm -hmm. because of gravity. But yes. you can do them really gracefully and really beautifully. And you know, there's Absolutely. a wonderful sort about, of excess right. kind of movement part. Totally. Yeah. Well, it's like a fourth dimension of movement because we, mm. we, as you said, can't do anything with the gravity. We spoke briefly about this kind of uh, a relationship between costume and puppetry in theatre, but I sort of, I imagine that there are distinct differences that maybe, um, or they go hand in hand. What like What's the relationship? I, I mean, I'm, as I said, I'm very yeah. uh, ignorant of the whole thing, but I'd love to know your yeah. take on that. Well, yes, um, I, th I think there's like massive grey areas or sort of murky borders mm. between costume puppetry and masks and yes. masquerading. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, I suppose for me, I think you could probably have this argument with any puppeteer mm. or puppet maker and you'd get a different answer. Sure, yeah. I, I think for me... Um, as a viewer, I think um, the puppet kind of has a, has to have a separate life mm -hmm. um, from the actor, and yeah. then then you've kind of the actor's created the illusion, yes, of a different kind of being. Mm -hmm. And if you're then convinced by that, or you sus suspend your disbelief, etc., mm -hmm. then I think it's a puppet. That's, so yeah. regardless of kind of what shape or scale or extension to the body. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's tricky when, you know, like Julie Taymor in The Lion King, you know, she did these, you know, absolutely magical lions mm. that effectively were like a huge mask on mm. top of the head. Mm. And you could see the actor's face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you could see the actor acting. But essentially, I think when you watched it, you believed this to be a lion. Mm. Um I really want to talk about your creative process because the idea of creating something that moves in such a realistic way um, seems very daunting. I don't even know where you start. So uh, how do you go from the conception of an idea to a fully formed puppet in theatre? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's a big question. So <laughs> It is a big question. I mean, I think if it's a theatre piece, generally you start, you have a meeting with the director. Yeah. And you determine with your director what your puppet needs to do mm -hmm. on stage. So yes. that's all the kind of action, the activity, yeah. how they're going to perform. There was a, a scene in Peter Pan where the director wanted a pack of wolves running across the stage but only had three actors. Right, okay. So, that you know, that was a just, you know, a common, interesting conundrum. So yeah, I yeah. designed, it was a very, very simple puppet, so I designed three wolf heads mm. per actor. And so there was one on each hand that with snapping jaws and Got snarling it. teeth yeah. and a kind of mask-like extension on the head. Yeah. And so, they, you know, you end up with nine wolves yeah, yeah, yeah. with three actors. Okay. So and they can of... run and be dynamic. And because they've got them on the ends of their hands, you know, the, the hands themselves can go up and down mm -hmm. and you get a sort of mad kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I suppose if it's an animal puppet, then I would go on to sort of study anatomy and look at skeletons to yes. see how the structure yeah. of a joint works. That relationship yeah. between art and anatomy is really yeah. interesting. The movement of the joints mm. in any kind of body 
of an animal. Mm. Um, so quite often the joints are you know, like a shoulder joint in a horse, mm. for instance. You wouldn't necessarily see that from the outside. Mm -mm. But if you work out where it is in terms of fabricating the poppet, mm. when you actually then gallop the horse or move the horse, mm. you will get a, a kind of a equivalent movement. Yes, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Because it bends in the same way. So clever. It's so yeah. clever. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have thought that that would be your yes. starting point, but it makes yes. absolute sense that it is. Um, so do you so you do drawings and things like that of the anatomy? Do lots then... of drawings, and then if there's time and budget, I will always try and make a prototype first. Yes, that, yeah, um, makes sense. And then, the, <laughs> and then that will be tested. So that's what I'm working on at the moment—a prototype, and then that will be tested yeah. with a director and the puppetry director, and hopefully a performer if one's been cast mm -hmm. at that moment. Mm -hmm. And they, they, I mean that that session is always really good because they were absolutely you know beat the puppet to bits yeah in terms of leaping <laughs> you're like it no about. my hard work <laughs> yeah they don't really sort of care about <laughs> there's no restrictions there's they no restrictions go for it so yeah, they need they to. to you know if it's a monkey they need to leap it around any kind of superstructure yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so it's a very good test in all manner of things absolutely <laughs> but life of pi mm. we did this year for sheffield crucible theater part of the initial idea was to make all the animals look like they were driftwood so wow. like because of the nature of the story, that you know, the animals sort of came out of the ocean kind of thing and yes. out of Pi's imagination. So it was a wonderful idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right at the beginning of the project, you know, we'd had a small three of us team mm. and we were just sort of carving, carving, carving mm. driftwood. And the material we use often is this stuff called plastazote, which is like kind of like yoga mats but very much much thicker so okay. it's like a rubber yeah it's yeah, really yeah. light really robust it's really great for puppets oh that's so interesting i would so, never <laughs> yeah so, i'd be like well obviously they need to be wood then don't yeah, they but but no yeah, no no there no. are tricks <laughs> and so you can bounce them around the stage and yeah really, yeah and they're incredibly light which obviously weight is a big issue yeah puppets. so we've been carving this rubberized stuff mm. to make it look like driftwood, which in itself is like really difficult. <laughs> or you're just hacking into it, like <laughs> yeah. So we've got circles, give it and some texture, knives, and we've yeah. got all these different things, and we were kind of collecting little bits of driftwood off the beach, yeah. You know, so we were doing all this anyway. You know, at the time I was working on Richard Parker the tiger, mm. so I was creating all these sort of driftwood body parts. But, you know, they, they, visually it wasn't quite working. We were all agreeing it wasn't quite working. You know, mm. another Caroline was working on the zebra at the time and that was going really well. But Richard Parker, somehow we couldn't quite cut it. And then, yeah. you know, another person came along and then started hacking away and making it leaner. So the wood was less sort of like the fatted calf. That sounds like the fun part when you're just know, hacking at rubber. <laughs> and so then... Actually, we then eventually, through the collaborative process of all these different mm. artists working on it, we mm. found the right language. And then mm. when we got it, we kind of absolutely knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's I suppose, you know, there's That's always so seemed nice, to be a group. massive gap between design. You know, designing on paper never really fully works. Yeah. You kind of have to make the thing to really know if you've kind of found totally the visual language so from how long do these projects tend to take when you're kind of starting from the initial conversations to when they're ready to go yeah it completely varies um so the job before this one I was asked to do a giant punch and judy head and two mm. and four hands yeah yeah and it was giant because I saw a picture oh, of it it was yeah. huge <laughs> yep um, so and that project was two weeks I mean it was right. really oh, wow, ambitious yeah. 
But then another, you know, project, we did Dr. Doolittle last year and there were 52 puppets. It was a huge oh show. Oh my goodness. And that's that, so many puppets. Yeah, that took us months and there were like 10 makers. They can't have been a cast. There's just one person who's a cast member and then just took puppets. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it, wow. was, it was really good. And some of the, you know, there was like a huge giant bear yeah. and a tiny little squirrel. You know, they, it was <laughs> yeah, really the whole range of puppetish sure. puppets. It was really good fun. Incredible kind of cover this slightly but how do you give animals a really distinct character because we've talked about how you make them look like animals but how do you give them a personality that seems hard <laughs> oh yeah that's a really hard question a really good question um I think it, finding the character of any puppet comes from multiple sources mm. so mm. often the script you know as a starting point is mm. a really good place because mm. you'll get a sense if um the animal the human puppet or whatever kind of puppet it is 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 you know, aggressive or frightened or curious or sad. Sure, yeah. So you're going to get a sense of the character through the script. And then, like, for example, when I made Nana the dog for Peter Pan, um, you know, because Pete, Nana was like this sort of caring babysitter Absolutely, yeah. kind of pocket. <laughs> a grandma and a dog. <laughs> yeah, a grandma yeah. and a dog. Um, so I thought, oh, well, materially, I kept on thinking of a sort of woolly jumper, like Aaron mm. knit sweaters. So I made the whole puppet basically out of woolly jumpers and so great you know tassely scarves and yeah. so it had that soft really sort of comfortable cozy nice. kind of texture and then so the character was informed by the script and the nature of the beast mm -hmm. yeah and yeah, then yeah. that sort of also informed yeah. the sort of material choices I made mm -hmm. for making it I want to talk a little, because the last time I came to see you, you mentioned that you worked in a puppet hospital at one point, which just confused me. It interested <laughs> me. Uh, tell me about working in a puppet hospital. Oh, <laughs> yeah, what happened? Puppet hospital. So, <laughs> um, that was a year and a half of my life working on Isle of Dogs for Wes Anderson's animation movie. Right, and, okay. Uh, for those that don't know, it's a stop frame animation movie and there were something like there were over 400 puppets oh my goodness <laughs> so if you can imagine that is a full cast of puppets <laughs> it was absolutely massive and oh under God. the skin of each puppet is this incredibly sophisticated silver soldered ball and socket kind of armature wow quite often there's jewelers working for years beforehand constructing all these amazing armatures oh my goodness. and each armature has these tiny allen keys joints mm -hmm. that need tensioning mm -hmm. and each animator yeah. requires a different kind of tension so these animators Goodness. are like really really skilled yeah so yeah, our yeah. job basically um well my role was to lead a team of uh 10 well actually in the end we were 10 awesome women oh <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> and so our, our kind of role was to tension these puppets on a daily basis for the animators needs mm. And then conduct kind of open heart surgery as needed when the puppets broke. Right. So we had this really open heart surgery. Know, right? That's ludicrous, but That's great. <laughs> and we had this really great workshop right next door to the film unit. Yeah. And we had a wonderful woman called Daisy who was the puppet wrangler. Right. So you know, we would fix or we would go and tend. And she would organise getting them on and off. And, and it was her role basically wow. to run the puppets between goodness the film me. unit and our workshop. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so she you... literally would stack up 13 miles a day. Wow. Just walking oh it across goodness. the car park. Have... Our job would also to be go onto the set, check the puppet looked like it was supposed to look, because quite often we'd have six okay. versions of a lead character. The amazing thing about all the creative people who were puppet makers and mm. the people in my team whether they all came from these sort of professional backgrounds so there were wig makers and jewelry mm. makers and yeah. carpenters 
and they just everybody just comes together to do this one movie yeah, yeah and then yeah. they go back to their normal lives yeah yeah it's yeah just, it's That's so fun all right so charlie what are you working on at the moment what's going on in your studio because your yeah. studio is, is packed i can see yeah. a dog over there and some other stuff so tell me okay so currently it's very exciting um i'm designing and making Toto for Wizard of Oz. The main character. The main character <laughs> and three crows, which are awesome. like the witches for millions. Yes. Which I'm very excited oh, about because so I've great. got a bit of a thing about crows. Right. Okay. <laughs> and this is where the anatomy drawings are coming in right now, where yes, you're trying exactly. to work out how the movement of the wings is and yes, everything exactly. like that. Fascinating. Exactly. So when... And that's going to be showing at Leeds Playhouse and opens the week for Christmas. All right. So, Charlie, where can listeners go to find out more about you and what you're doing? Well, my website's uh, charlietims.co.uk and that's spelt... C-H-A-R-L-I-E-T-Y-M-M-S. Amazing. Thank you so much for chatting to me. Thank it's been you. so fun. <laughs> so that was the fabulous Charlie Tins. Isn't she great? I honestly learned so much about, well, I knew nothing. Is That wasn't clear before. I knew absolutely nothing about puppet making at all, but she gave me quite the education and I was thrilled to learn about puppet making as well. Her studio was gorgeous as well. There was kind of like wood carvings everywhere and these anatomy books and uh, really, really fantastic. That is unfortunately all we've got time for this week. And thank you very much for listening to Art Then and Now with me, Anna Gammons, for any Anything discussed in this week's show for some images and some contact details please visit the Facebook site at the Art Then and Now show I hope that 2020 is a happy and healthy one for all of you and if you've got any New Year's resolutions let them be to do one kind thing a day for someone else I promise it'll put you in good stead it'll make you feel better than anything that you can do for yourself thank you so much for listening and a farewell for next week <laughs>